Hi everyone, I'm Laura and welcome to my podcast, The Other Laura Ingram. Of course, I explained last time that, you know, I have had this YouTube channel where um, more people knew me as JWT Girl and other people knew me from my blog and other people know me just through different communities online and of course I hadn't done much of anything on YouTube or on my blog in a, in a while and so I came up with the idea for this podcast and then I didn't go into it last time when I was talking about the podcast itself I didn't really go much into it but what I'm hoping that I can go into a little bit is my own life um, as far as just being able to create some dialogue, being able to talk a little bit about different things that pertain to me but also pertain to the world at large and other women and other people. Um, I want this to be a humanity first type of podcast. Um, I'm going to go into basically delving into my own thoughts on motherhood and on um, the world scene and on um, just life in society. And um, before I go into that, what I want to do is read the first chapter of the book that I've been working on. And I've been working on it for some time. I'm still not done, I'm still working on it, but I am very sure on this first chapter and I'm very sure on a few chapters which I think I will be reading on this podcast incrementally. I will be reading it every so often and just seeing what everybody thinks on it. I think that's going to be a great idea moving forward and I hope you guys like it. I've worked very hard on it and also I'm thinking, um, before I go into that, let me explain why I called this podcast The Other Lara Ingram. The reason I called it that is because from the beginning, from the very beginning when I started this channel, when I started my Facebook page and I did all of that, I've always gotten messages from people saying, Hey, are you that Laura Ingram from Fox News? And usually I answer no. Usually I answer, no, that's not me. Of course, I mean, that's my, that's my go-to. But every once in a while I will have a little bit of fun and say yes and just go into my own specific story a little bit further. Um, and people are shocked that, that Laura Ingram has, you know has the story that that she does. <laughs> I'm very, 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 very clear and open about my transgender status as Laura <laughs> for anybody that asks. And, you know, it can be a little bit of fun. I don't do it very often, but every once in a while I will. Sorry. Um, but no, 
I am not the Laura Ingram from Fox News. I am the other Laura Ingram. So, growing up as one of Jehovah's transsexuals, that was the name of my very first YouTube creation, my very first YouTube post, um, or at least my first series. Actually, I think my first post on YouTube was an introduction to family as myself after I had just come out. Um, but my next thing that I did was talk about my life growing up as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and I named it Growing Up as One of Jehovah's Transsexuals, and that is what I, the tentative title that I believe I'm going to be calling my book. This is the preface, the introduction. I'll start from there. Growing up as one of Jehovah's transsexuals. If the transgender community had to choose a single book to make that book their Bible, if they could only choose one, I would think that Bible could very well be Invisible Monsters. That's the one I'd nominate. You know, one of the other novels written by the guy who wrote Fight Club? That would be the Bible, at least for transgender people. Specifically, the hardcover edition. The one that says Remix. I think this would be the perfect candidate for a Bible. It is gritty, grotesque, and full of monstrosity. Which is how you spell the word humanity after you've been through shit. With all its confusion and horror, you can't decide who is the biggest monster. The protagonist, or the antagonist or even which is which of these two. The book jumps around, does not read coherently, is confusing to boot, yet it is incredibly quotable, not unlike a Bible. It is fiction that screams truth, or truth that screams fiction. Either way, that's an important feature in any Bible. And of course, the story surrounds transgender characters, the worst you'll ever meet, probably but it doesn't shout them out from page one as the main theme. Not like this book does. Really, it's not that we need a Bible. We actually seem to be divided, like all the rest of the globe, between sticking with the Bible everyone else uses and just throwing various Bibles out the window. So I'm not saying we should adopt it as some sort of doctrine, just that it would fit nicely in many situations. Of course, this is an idea I really wouldn't tell anyone except now, in a book that anyone can just pick up and read whenever they feel like it. Got to have drama, after all. Still, voicing this thought could be a gamble. The type where it's a 50-50 chance whether you'd be praised by an entire community or shot down by that same community. I don't know if many people are familiar with this type of dilemma. Communities of all sorts are double-edged like this, I've learned. In this garden of a world we live in, the worthwhile communities are the ones that cut down the weeds, leave the flowers, and prune the shrubs when necessary. Don't take that to mean I've got a green thumb. The analogy just seems like it should work. And see? That's exactly why maybe I should join a gardening club, or probably a writing class. Shrubbery and prose aside, my point is that... I just can't help noticing all these subcultural quirks. As a cult survivor, I tend to both anticipate and avoid groupthink. 
in almost a paranoid sort of way. I'd dub it both a blessing and a curse if I really believed in those sorts of things. But it's only me, lucky me. It's all my experiences intermingling into one semi-coherent whole. Hence this book, my life story, of which there's plenty of pages left. For now, I'm still trying to decide whether the characters in that book are likable. The one thing I know for sure is that they can remind me so much of myself. People say I'm likable. I say I'm boring. However, my story is not the typical transgender autobiography. I'm not entirely sure whether the trans community will appreciate it or not. It's not politically correct. No, I don't ever try very hard at that. It's also no work of fiction. So it's no Bible for sure. It is just my story albeit an exaggerated form of it, with names changed and dialogue bedazzled. Apart from the catchy title and the amount of times I use the word transgender in this introduction, I'd like to think that this book is not even mostly about that. I really try to distance myself from the label, actually. If you ever feel alone, lock yourself in a room full of transsexuals for a week and you'll be cured in a day or two, and from then forward, begging to be let out and cut free from all the drama. The one thing I will say flat out from being transgender is that the direst thing trans people need, in my experience, is not to be a community. The last thing most of us need is yet another transgender friend, yet we take each other on because we know how hard it is, especially at the beginning of our transition. We have empathy for each other, and of course, another friend is still another friend. However, we remain in this community because there is power in it. Like beauty is power, the same way money is power, the same way a gun is power. And power is something we are deeply lacking individually, even with money, beauty, and guns. What we need most is not to be considered a nation or a rock unto ourselves. Ironically, this is also the exact same thing most Jehovah's Witnesses need. It is so easy to be pushed into feeling that way. Alone. Stuck. The whole world feels that way, despite how small it seems to get, especially when holding the vast, worldwide internet of everything right in the palm of your hand. There is one unfortunate aspect of being a transsexual. Yes, I said transsexual. Specifically, that has caused me a lot of grief, personally. It is that, no matter what, the moment it is out to others that you are transgender, people begin to treat you different. It doesn't matter how you look, or how well you blend in, it doesn't matter if the person is being nice or hateful, different is different. Being more interested is still different. Choosing your words carefully around that girl is still different. You can always tell when someone is treating you different. To be both honest and ironic, this aspect is enough to cause feelings of cisphobia. I've known quite a few trans women that have admitted to me that they find it difficult to trust cisgender people. From time to time, even I have felt like an island in a sea of cisgender, and rather indignant about it. 
and it is during those times I have flocked to the Church of Transgender and drank from the deepest depths of the transgender ideology Kool-Aid, which really isn't an official ideology, or a real flavor of Kool-Aid for that matter. Rather, a feeling that you'll never fit in, and that transgender people are the only real people in the world. This, again, isn't too different from the Jehovah's Witness worldview. The difference is just who's doling out the fear-spiked beverages. Admittedly, I don't know if I can tell you a way to fix this. I wish I had an answer. My answer is all right here in the next few hundred pages, if you can even call it an answer. It's just my story. At most, it's a tiny statement. And all I know is that I'm lucky. Another common aspect of being transgender, or in this case, a trans woman, is being told that you're beautiful. It has become almost like the trans woman salute. It gets said so much. Post a picture online and all your friends, half of which are probably transgender too, call you different incarnations of the word. If you're out with another transgender friend, and a picture of the two of you is tagged in social media, it's an immediate springboard for comments like, You're two gorgeous women! Or, Two magnificent ladies! No comments on where we are or what we're doing, just comments ensuring us that we are splendiferous, and that we are indeed women. Like we needed subliminal messages to know this. I don't know who to take seriously sometimes between that and the angry online conversations insisting that I'm destined for hell. Here's the point. Transgender women are very often not invited to the cisgender world. We often don't have moms to ask serious questions to. We don't often get to be moms to our children if we have any. We many times don't have sisters to go shopping with, and few of us have fathers who still care for us, much less worry about us, or even, odds forbid, spoil us. <sighs> a cisgender woman at work or school will subsequently wonder why we are a little awkward in certain situations when compared to other women, and not invite us to do stuff with the girls. We often do these things with other trans women because we always invite each other and because we understand we are missing different parts of ourselves. And because, hey, at least we have each other. And that reminds us over and over again that we are transgender. Which reminds us again and again that we are not born as the sex we align with. Finally, you've developed an irritated and engorged case of gender dysphoria, one of the worst and most overpowering feelings to live with on this earth. It's difficult, impossible for some to get away from feeling like monsters that the average person would rather destroy or ignore, no matter how much we attest that we're not. All that really needs to happen is for us as individuals to be consistently part of something more than being transgender. But a lot of us simply don't seem to be able to have that. We aren't allowed to relate. Again, I'm lucky. The only time anyone has ever been able to tell I was a transsexual is the one time I was sitting directly next to another transsexual in public. I've done that multiple times and it only happened once. I'm five foot six inches tall and I've always had relatively wide hips, a larger butt, and even tiny breasts. 
Granted, I really wasn't very convincing at all on my first catwalk out of the closet. I had lived as a man for 25 years, and had been a construction worker for 7 years of it. I didn't walk right, I didn't talk right, but within 8 months of starting hormone replacement therapy, I started living as Samantha full-time, and I was only spotted as transgender about one time. So I'm lucky. When I decided to transition, I fully expected to be hideous. The hope of being pretty wasn't why I wanted to transition. I did it to be okay inside. To finally feel like a woman, no matter if I was grotesque on the outside. I was ready to end it all, and I needed to know once and for all if transitioning would quiet my disquiet, or if I needed to resort to fatal measures. So I did my best to turn over a new leaf in my health. I started exercising and eating well, so at least I wouldn't be hideous and fat, and then I started hormones. And I've become gorgeous. To me, that word actually sounds like I've gorged myself on food to the point where I've become immovable. But that's just my brain. I'm lucky. So, honestly, I could choose to live in stealth and never tell anyone I'm transgender. I could choose not to be an invisible monster. When I began writing this, it was a thought. It was maybe even a fledgling plan at that point. When you're transitioning right after leaving a doomsday cult at 26 years old, you're anxiously relearning everything. And sometimes you spend too much time looking in the mirror, concerned with how you look, worried you're not pretty enough. When I wrote the first chapter of this book, I was deeply worried that I would be turning 30 in two years. Worried that I had wrinkles and smile lines. Would it be a new barrier? Would I still pass as effortlessly as I always had? And then, immediately, I would feel ashamed for thinking this way. And then I would post a new blog, or a new video, or whatever ransom social justice media dictated and wonder to myself if I actually could ever leave the community. And then the comparisons came, and the realization that I had already been here. I had already done this. I had already left a cult just a few years earlier. And in the years since, in thinking about this entire journey, though I may snidely refer to my life as growing up as one of Jehovah's transsexuals, I realized the story wasn't as bleak as I originally felt when I first began all of this. Sure, it's gritty, and there's monstrosity in places. So much, it may sincerely feel like parts of my life are some sadist, intricately planned homage to Invisible Monsters and its brilliant author. Yet, there's also love, and understanding, and real joy. Simply living while reevaluating and finding the confidence and energy I needed in myself helped me pull the jumble of life's experiences together into a narrative. My narrative. And the truth, my truth of where my strengths lie as a woman, as a mother, or as a friend, and ultimately as a human being, brings me peace and authentic self-worth. And it makes me relatable as a human being. And the journey was, and continues to be, entirely worthwhile. 
and not to get any more pseudoscience-y and strange, but I think that this is the deepest and truest well of power you could ever hope to find in this universe, even within any Internet of Things or Nothings. And I believe it's true, that saying, with great power comes great responsibility. Chuck Palahniuk didn't say that last quote, by the way. <laughs>